it's a controversial topic, I should say. You know, the people on the left call them ghost guns because it sounds scarier, and they love drumming up fear <laughs> in people to make them against things. Um, oh, great, now ghosts can have guns. <laughs> yeah, that, that's gonna be pretty scary. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend Thomas Balzamo. How are you, Tom? Hey, doing good. Good, good. Um, Great to jump into another episode. And as we do, right at the outset, we want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash reason together for supporting this endeavor. And uh, if you're an elite patron, you know that you've uh, received a free t-shirt. You have access to the uh, patron community, as all the patrons do. And you also get the after show. And, uh, and I have to say, I don't know, I guess maybe it wasn't an after show in particular, but I, um, I, I should listen to our podcast more so I know what I think about stuff. Um, but, um, uh, but I listened to an episode recently and I really enjoyed it. And it was the, uh, our own podcast. It was our own podcast. And Rossby, I want to thank you because he did this of his own initiative. He put together a compilation from 2022 of, of funny moments. And so basically it's a track of us laughing uh, over different yeah. little things here and there. And it's about what, 20 minutes, th- 15, 13, uh, probably, 20, probably 15. you're a, uh, wow. I'm surprised you didn't listen to that sooner. That came out. When was that? December? Where have you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't. I honestly, I don't think I had noticed it until, uh, I, I had, del- I had my, f- whether, I don't know that I had done it directly, but you know, your phone says save space by deleting unused apps. Well, I haven't really used signal. So it knocks signal out. Um, and that's how we communicate amidst our oh. editors and things like that. Well, so I re-downloaded it, and so I'm seeing these old um, messages. Maybe that's where I saw it, that he had made that, and I uh, went back. I really enjoyed that. So if you want to hear just a laugh fest for about 15 minutes, um, you know, have at that one. That yeah. was about December 22nd, <clears throat> maybe, 2022. Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't think it was it, a bonus. It wasn't like a, an after show. It was just a bonus episode for everybody to listen yes. to. Right. Yeah. It's just a bonus. And and careful listeners will note that probably 99% of the laughing done was yours on there. <clears throat> and, At least in terms and of just, volume. <laughs> in, well, yeah. I mean, and, and only because of the two of us, your laugh is contagious. Uh, mine is just kind of bland and ordinary. Your, your laugh is contagious. So... Uh, in the editing, he just grabbed your laughs. It seems just whatever seemed <laughs> contagious and funny and stuck it in there. Just so happens to be all yours. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, I'm happy to listen to that. I, I remember smiling through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And it reminded me of stories I had forgotten. I loved like that lady in your church past the time that, that I, I love that one. And then, uh, and then your paper, um, you know, your paper, I think it was in college. I mean, who can ever forget, uh, yeah. that. A disproportionate yeah. man's guide to pants. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, Library of Congress. Um, okay. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So let's uh, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Okay. Uh, what what do you want to cue us up with here? 
Oh, man. Um, okay, so you have several on here. Uh, I have a short one. This one's probably just a quick one here. We probably okay. no need to spend a lot of time on it because really you could almost answer it with just a yes or no. However, that is not our custom. Um, <laughs> so you remember at a certain point in Jesus' ministry, he sends the disciples out for the first time on what is essentially a short-term missions trip. Mm-hmm. And to prior to this moment, they they did not ever have the opportunity or ability to heal or cast out unclean spirits or do anything like that. <clears throat> they were essentially students of Jesus. And uh, finally, he sends them out. I think it's Matthew chapter 10, uh, thereabouts, sends them out uh, two by two, uh, which is a whole nother discussion, but uh, sends them out and gives them the ability to do these miraculous things. There, there's no indication for us that any of the disciples were unable or unwilling to perform these miracles. It just seems implicit that all of them did these things. And mm-hmm. later, when Jesus is betrayed by Judas, um, there are some things that Jesus says to him uh, or about him, essentially, that it would have been better had he not been born. Um, he's, he's referred to elsewhere as a son of perdition. Um, he seems to bear little, if any evidence at all of a believer, especially in the final moments of his life. Uh, so, so most, most conclude that Judas was probably not saved. Mm -hmm. Went into his own place. Right. Mm -hmm. Good, good point. Good point. Um, so did Judas do miracles on this missions trip? Well, uh, just as you've stated, it really doesn't tell us exactly. It's sort of assumed that he did, though it never mm-hmm. says uh, any of the names particularly did or didn't. We sort of assume right. that all had the ability and all used that ability in that trip. So we can't say conclusively, though it's a it's a possibility. What's interesting to me, you said you think that's in like Matthew 10? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, that you... Look back at Matthew chapter 7, and you wonder what bit of, in some ways, foreshadowing, but even a context that it gives there, when in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. When in 14, he says, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads unto a life, and few there be that find it. And he says later in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And he goes on to say, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. And so to realize that among his own ranks, you know, that there was one that likely didn't know him and yet could do mighty works. Um, and in, and Very you say, good. well, thanks. And you, you think, well, was he a false prophet? He would have had the right message. And yet, without a relationship himself, um, right. interesting. Yeah, and and that's why I would think if if he was unable to cast out demons, um, then you, you would think the disciples would have noticed that. You know, likely they shared stories um, when they came back from this. Right. You would think if he was the only he, one that couldn't. If he was the like, only <laughs> one. You'd say, what's wrong with that guy? And then later on at the last supper or, or close to it, they're discussing, you know, Jesus mentions the idea of a betrayer and they're all asking, is it I, is it I, is it I, you know, no one really said, 
well, hey, he's the guy that couldn't do miracles. You know, maybe <laughs> right. there's something wrong with him. Right. Uh, you know, there's no suspicion at all of him. That it is seems. pretty in amazing. Fact, they all suspected themselves, themselves in some way. Yep. And uh, so, yes, it does appear that Judas probably was able to cast out demons, which I can understand because if I were a demon and I was trying to cover for this guy, Judas, I would just leave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you were to cast me out, I'd be like, all right, I'm going. Um, it, it, it helps his legitimacy. I would just be essentially working with him hmm. uh, on this matter. Not that Judas and, and I don't I don't know that Judas was uh, always um, aware of mm, his mm -hmm, mm -hmm. soul's condition. Mm -hmm. um, I, I suspect he likely wasn't. Um, <clears throat> but the healing thing is certainly interesting. Because if, if Judas is going about healing disease, well, that's not in cooperation with a demon or an unclean spirit. Right, no. Mm -mm. He does seem to have the ability to heal. And it's like, that. that kind of breaks my brain a little bit. Here's a man who's not saved, who's going to be the betrayer, and yet God has given him the ability to heal. And it reminded me in some ways of King Saul. Hmm. Who, in what way? You know, well, I mean, you remember he prophesied? Ah, uh, yes, right. Mm -hmm. Instead of him that he prophesied? And, and there's, of course, debate whether or not Saul was truly saved or mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to lean towards him not being saved. Um, can't, can't know that for sure. But it certainly is interesting to think that God would allow him to prophesy um, yeah. in a similar way that God enabled an unsaved man like Judas to heal diseases. Yeah, interesting. I'm thinking of spinoff questions as you're, as you're talking here. Real quick, um, and we don't have to spend a whole lot of time here, but my wife was just recently reading this story to my youngest two girls of Saul and the witch at Endor. And you remember that she summons Samuel, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you have a, a thought on whether that was a true summoning of Samuel or whether that was a fake? I, I do uh, have some notes on it from when I taught through that. Yeah. And uh, as embarrassing it is to say, I don't really remember my position on the subject. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I was <laughs> similar in the, I know I've studied that and I think um, at what least- What was the reference? I do not. I do not know. I don't know. Um, okay. But anyway, if you take it as being uh, at all legitimate and that when she was scared, she wasn't, that wasn't part of her um, spiel, you know, like, like part of her, like part of her thing that she acts scared, you know, and the whole process of supposedly revealing. If you take it as she actually was scared that she did not act, anticipate this Samuel coming forth, then it looks, uh, it looks in some ways legitimate. And, and, and one thing is that Samuel, I believe, betrays a fact, not betrays, but reveals a fact that she wouldn't know. Um, although some people say, well, it was basically, you know, the handwriting on the was on the wall. They were going to be defeated the next day. But anyway, my daughter asks this question, and I'm throwing this uh, this out there because talking about Saul's um, salvation, whether he's saved. <clears throat> and again, not that I've concluded, but it's a, it is an interesting question that Samuel, if you take it as a legitimate uh, manifestation of Samuel, says to Saul, "You will be with me tomorrow." Does that mean? you will be with me in the grave or does that mean you will be with me in paradise? You know, um, in a similar mm. way, David says of his baby, I will go to be with him, but he will not come to be with me. 
remember. Um, so anyway, just an interesting thought there. Now back yeah. to <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking for my note. I don't know that I'm prepared to launch out into that no, one without I, finding my note here. That's fine. And I don't uh-huh. want to really launch into that to go back to, um, Judas healing. Um, it makes me ask kind of a, a practical question uh, ap- of application in our day. If a man who likely was unsaved could uh, preach the right message, uh, even with the power to heal and to cast out demons, then wouldn't it be fair to say that an unsaved man could have um, uh, the ability, certainly, to preach the gospel, uh, we might even say, and see results. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, yet, I agree. And yet it's not the results that should be comforting to him regarding his own eternal destiny, but rather the, the, the assurance of a relationship with the Lord. Yeah, no, I agree, because it is the gospel that is the power of God into salvation, not the yeah. preacher. You, um, I mean, typically we would think probably, well, if somebody doesn't love the Lord— they're not going to want to preach his message. They're going to be a false prophet, right? They're going to be yeah. saying something wrong. But to realize that somebody could actually not know the Lord and yet preach the right message. And and, and yeah. that message would be would work in the lives of people, you know? You might see you might see some souls genuinely saved, which he doesn't even have, but the message, you know, the, the power of the gospel yeah. works in them. Interesting. Yeah, that uh we we don't have to go into it today, honestly, but uh I've been studying through the uh, the Donatist controversy mm-hmm. or the Donatist schism, which <laughs> love them or hate them, the Donatists were effectively a very extreme group uh, in which they 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 would delegitimize the preaching uh, or even the ordination of a person if someone sat on their ordination council who was someone they didn't agree with. And essentially what you could say about the Donatists is that they believe the power of the preaching came from the man. Hmm. And that's why if there was a man who was not in their eyes as not viewed in their eyes as legitimate on your ordination council, when you became a preacher, it delegitimized you. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. And, and and essentially they were doing the same thing. They were, they, they couldn't wrap their mind around the idea that someone who, you know, was someone they disagreed with could actually say a right thing. <laughs> and, and, and the fact is, I think there are preachers today who, they may not be regenerate themselves, but are they saying things that could draw someone toward the gospel? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. All right. Do you have another one or can we, uh, do you have a we preference? We can move on. Go okay. ahead. You're, um, you're... I just, I just see this one and I say, um, Let's deal with this one. This, I think, will be simple enough. Uh, it's kind of a two-sided or two-parted question by um, our elite patron, James, here. And he says, uh, thanks for the great content lately. Um, I, I want to know what you guys think about church security teams. This is kind of a mm. uh, a rising trend, if you will, in churches. Uh, con- he said, uh, security teams, concealed carry in church, and how a Christian or church should respond to those kinds of threats and dangers. Is have, here's his question. Is having a security team a wise thing to do or even a necessity in today's world? Is it appropriate for a layman or even a pastor to carry in church? And then a more hypothetical question, 
So this is the second part here. We can deal with them one at a time. If the government outlaws guns, should a Christian own a gun or give them up? Um, so on church security teams and and concealed carry for for a believer, is that uh, is that appropriate or does it betray a lack of trust or faith? No, it, it's completely appropriate. Um, can, can it be a lack of faith for some? Yes. Um, the The fact of the matter is, <clears throat> I can either have faith in God to protect me when I do nothing, or I can have faith in God to protect me using whatever skills He's given me. Good. Um, mm-hmm. So, so no, it doesn't betray a lack of faith to have uh, a church security team. Uh, frankly, I am for those. Um, I think that uh, I think that they're in some places very necessary. Um, maybe more so in some places than in others, <clears throat> but no, I think, uh, I think it's a good thing. I would agree. Um, to a point, I think it's, um, I, I, I you gotta, gotta consider that it, just as a ministry, like, well, we're a church, we have to have a security team. Well, I've never carried a gun, but I'll, I'll strap this baby on and keep this place <laughs> no, 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 safe. No, no, no. Yeah. You're like, um, okay, no, actually, you have to have security in a in a safe way, obviously, because that's the point. You're trying to, right? Um, you're trying to protect the church. Well, if giving a certain person, um, you know, a certain ability that he's not trained or has the, you know, self awareness or or temperance to use, then you're actually not protecting the church. You're putting it at a pretty significant liability. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I agree. I think training yeah. is necessary. Yeah, and honestly, we wouldn't even necessarily say that every security team has to be armed. Um, in our security, you know, protocol here, I, I would, I would kind of say it's it's pretty close to necessary. Yeah, in, in my opinion. But, yeah, but they well, need to be trained. Yeah. Well, in our in our scenario, um, you know, the security person uh, locks the doors or is supposed to at a certain time, and so already there's sort of a, a hindrance to entrance into the building. There are security cameras, and he carries an iPad that shows him that can show him the security cameras, so he can even have um, uh, an awareness of someone approaching the building prior to their even, you know, pounding on the door. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, should someone get in, we do not discourage as pastors, <laughs> and uh, and you know, we're we're fine if people conceal carry who aren't technically the security team; they're just people. Um, right. And so, sure. um, so if someone is on the security team, meaning he monitors the halls, he locks the doors, he keeps an eye on the cameras, he has access to the uh, transmitter that calls the pagers in, in need of help. If he's not used to carrying, um, you know, in, in our particular situation, we don't make them carry. We don't. We don't say anything about really carrying. Um, yeah, that's just not kind of part of the the right yeah. there, but. Well, to be fair, in your part of the country, it is more prone for people to want to do that, I think. <laughs> um, where, where I live, I mean, we're having our Second Amendment rights stripped away from us every single day, it seems. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I kid you not. I'm not even not even exaggerating that. His, uh, Lamont's legislative agenda for Connecticut just came out the other day, and it's just constant, a barrage of attacks against our Second Amendment rights here. Wow. Um, but, <clears throat> um, but, you know, to be clear, I do. Uh, carry a concealed weapon um, pretty much everywhere, uh, including church. And um, in our church, the size of our church, you know, I am essentially the security team because we don't have a big church. 
And the layout of our building is such that it's a small storefront. Um, I'm watching the door the whole time. Right. I'm, I'm up at the front. facing the door. I'm you the one facing the door. In. Right. And we, we have one point of entrance and one point of egress in the entire building. Mm-hmm. And the point of egress is behind me where I'm at at the pulpit. So in the case of an emergency, our people know that if I yell threat or something like that, um, the people are to exit through the back. They're to get down, get low, get out through the back of the building. I'm heading for the front. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it's going to vary. Church security is going to vary depending on your church building. Um, there needs to be some sort of strategy for your specific building type and and style. Where are the points of entrance? Where are the points of egress? Uh, where are there places where you can have locked doors and so on and so forth? Uh, and it's also going to vary depending on the people you have. Since right. our church is sure. small, we don't need a whole team of people. Um, you know, so right now I, I carry a concealed weapon at church. However, you know, I'm, I've had some advanced training on on those things. I'm right. not just some some dude with a concealed carry permit it license. It really is a serious thing. <clears throat> yeah. To carry. Um, sure, it absolutely is, you know, and if you're going to do that, you really do need to be prepared to use it. It's not it's not just a safety blanket that you carry around, a security blanket. You really do need to be prepared mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, to use that if you had to and be prepared for the potential consequences. Um, right. You know, I do have um, insurance that does um, provide for litigation in the event that I do have to use that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not expensive, um, but it is something that I do recommend. Um, and I even recommend as far as for churches to have some sort of occasional um, occasional in-service or training on something like this. I had some training uh, not uh, not too many years ago, it's, it's known as Alice training. Or um, have you heard of this, Alice? It sounds a little familiar, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you anything about it. So explain. Yeah, I'm, I'm not trained as an instructor in it. Uh, that I just don't have the the time for that. I, I have been a student of it, though. It's an acronym. It stands for Alert, Lockdown, Inform, Counter, and Evacuate. <clears throat> um, and it is essentially sort of. Uh, sort of a, a run fight, a run hide fight protocol, if mm-hmm. I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. So it prioritizes certain responses in an active shooter situation, or, mm-hmm. or really any situation. Is uh, is here's what you do first: you will you alert, make sure there's notification of the danger. You know, lock down. In other words, you don't want to immediately try to engage uh, all the time, um, and then inform. You know, communicate to other people. Uh, you know, where is this intruder? You know, where is he coming from? Who, what does he look like? You know, and so on. Uh, pass along information. And then counter uh, is is not necessarily fighting. Um, it, 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 it's essentially distracting and, and moving, creating uh, some sort of noise or something like that just to, to try and disorient. And, and then evacuate is, is obviously the, the end goal is to get out of the get off the X, you know, get, get out of danger as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the training that's often used in places where people are not permitted to carry firearms mm, or yes, not yeah. interested in carrying firearms. Mm-hmm. Um, so there like is no schools. other defense. I mean, as far as you can't engage with them on a firearm basis. <laughs> so you have to find other ways to distract and, and, and evacuate right. and all those things. Yeah. Right, right. So, so I, we, I had training on this at our workplace uh, where I work. Um, we've not done it at the church yet, um, just because, like I said, I'm, I'm the security team. I, you know, I can explain at least the basics of this to our people. And, and we're a pretty small, unassuming church. 
Um, you know, our building is laid out in a certain way. So I, I, you know, we've not gone through the formality of it at church, but you know, it should, it should be at least made aware to most church goers how to respond if someone yells threat, 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 or gun or something like that, uh, in an emergency so that, so that everyone's not running in all different directions, uh, so that people end up, you know, don't end up standing like deer in the headlights. They should know, you know, get down and head in a certain direction, get down and head away. Uh, there should be some sort of protocol in place to make people aware. Uh, some security teams at churches go as far as running drills, active shooter drills. Mm-hmm. I got to say with, with what my thoughts are about training, um, I'm not opposed to that. It does seem a bit extreme and, and it might even be unnerving for some churchgoers to have to run through a drill like that. Right. Yes. But I, I kind of say there's a place for it. Um, and I, yeah, I just want to make the comment, you know, to you have, might have a wide variety, obviously, of of churches and and size and structure and all that stuff. So to say that security team isn't so much the focal point; it's the safety of your church. And so, right. who do you have? What's your budget? Um, you know, um, you know, just just several different things come into play. Ultimately, you want your people to be safe. If if you don't really have a trained, you know, trained people with guns. And I honestly, personally, I, I, I would recommend in your uh, church security policy that you don't say anything about a gun personally. Now, at least for us here, because again, as, as a matter of liability, if you're going to require guns, then uh, right. that's putting a pretty big stake in the game and requiring training and bringing liability yeah. on yourself. But if you just leave it as an unsaid that if he does, he does, if he doesn't, that's his, his, his judgment call. You need to talk to your insurance company about that. Yeah. But the point is, you know, I, I if agree. You yeah. I, I, I agree, but that, there should be training still. You yeah. know, I would encourage folks, and, and I actually said this at a recent meeting we had at our church where we talked about church security is, is uh, the topic of, you know, concealed carry in church came up. And, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. If you would like to do that, I'm not going to tell you that you have to or that you should. Right. Um, but I'm not going to tell you that you can't. I will just say that if you're going to do something like that, whether you're at church or anywhere, you should have some sort of advanced training mm-hmm. on how to use that under duress, you know, yes, under stress. Right. right. Um, so. Right. And so yeah. if people don't, you're just asking, how can I keep my church the safest? And it's not, if it's something as simple as just uh, posting, you know, posting a fire, fire drill kind of a thing, like a, a map, where do I go? Reminding the people occasionally that if something were to happen, remember to keep a cool head. This is what we need to do. These are the first couple steps, whatever. Um, you, you want to keep your people safe within the bounds that you have at your disposal, within the things that you have at your disposal. You know, it's like a bus ministry. It's not that, oh, well, everybody's got to have a bus ministry, right? If we're going to be a spiritual, we're going to be like, like a productive, uh, you know, uh, good church, we have to have a bus ministry. No, you need to do what you're supposed to do in your locale with the tools that you right. have. That's the most effective and same thing with sure. the safety of your church. Now, to, sure. to transition to that second question, if the government outlaws guns, which like you're saying in your area, there's really uh, more of an assault on that, right? Should a Christian own a gun? So should he say, no, this is my, this is my, you know, God given right to have a gun. I'm going to keep it. Uh, or do I just say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to give it up. Um, and, and from that point, trust the Lord. Um, this is reminiscent of a conversation we had on this podcast a long time ago. And okay. Give me uh, just a minute to go back and listen to see what I said. No. (laughs) Well, this is one of those topics where my thinking on it has evolved a little bit. Um, and 
I, I used to be of the impression that, you know, when it talks about obeying government in the Bible, <clears throat> that that statement is is so absolute that if the government here in the United States told us that we cannot have guns anymore, that that means we just have to uh, um, just comply, uh, you know, to be a good Christian, we have to comply with that. And I, it's not quite that simple. It, it, like many arguments, <laughs> it's not that simple. So, I mean, if you if you understand the way in which the the world was when these scriptures were written, they were under an empire, right? Whose yes, whose governmental monarch. power was absolute, mm-hmm. and we are not living under an empire. In fact, we're living in a government in which the entire spirit of the founders and the founding documents. Uh, and you can even find principles like this in our founding documents, particularly the uh, the Declaration of Independence, which is a founding document of this country. Um, it's not not the same as the Constitution, but it's it's one of our founding documents. But the spirit and attitude of our founding documents is that if government becomes tyrannical, our government essentially says, in the spirit of its founding, disobey us. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it unique. So, so how can I be disobedient to a government that tells me if we become tyrannical, you should disobey because that's essentially what they were doing. Right. Right. And, and, and like it or not, as a Christian, that is the form of government. That is the spirit of the founding that they placed in our founding documents, um, that it is our right. It it is our duty in a sense, uh, to use the actual words there. Um, to to not comply with the, certain things. The difficulty in that is that uh, that's very subjective as to what is tyrannical, and uh, sometimes, and then, but not yeah. with the Second Amendment. Um, it's not subjective because the word infringe means infringe, and it's not it's not the uh, the right to own arms. It's the right to keep and bear arms. The idea of not only owning them but carrying them. Sure. Um, so, so in my in my opinion, the Second Amendment is written in such a way that it is absolute. Uh, so, so when it comes to compliance or noncompliance with laws or rules, like the ATF makes, um, when it comes to those things, they are infringing on an amendment to the constitution that enshrines our right to keep and bear arms. So, so like I say, my opinion on this has changed because not, not because my principles have changed, but because my understanding of our own government structure has changed. I I get it now that what makes the United States form of government unique is that in a sense it is built in, it's baked into the cake, the ability to disobey if our own constitution is violated. Now, let me go a step further um, and just come down to, say, a hypothetical. Uh, they show up for your gun, right? I mean, they, they can make the declaration, uh, you know, uh, dee, 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 six o'clock news, uh, the government has just outlawed guns. Please, uh, you know, uh, appear at the police station and turn in your gun. <laughs> and you go, um, no, <laughs> you know, but then someone finds out, uh, oh, Belzamo's got a gun that he hasn't registered yet. And a couple of police officers come to your door and they say, uh, Mr. Belzamo, you're in violation of the recent blah, blah, blah rules. Uh, we ask you to turn in your gun. Um, 
at that, at that point, you would turn it in, right? I mean, you wouldn't say, come in and get me, boys, you know, like, or would you? Would You know, I mean, at a certain point, like, they're going <laughs> to they're out, gonna outnumber you, um, and yeah. they're going to take the gun one way or the other. It's not saying you don't have, they took away your right to have one, because that's yeah. enshrined, but they might take away your gun. Um, yeah. At what point well, do it, you defend the ability to use your gun, even against the people trying to take it away, or do you just say, look? Yeah. Take the gun. Well, the thing is, I can't do this in my state, um, in, in Connecticut, but, um, the, the easiest answer to that, or that, the, I would say the, the most elegant solution is to own guns that they really have no way of knowing about. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and, and those are known as unserialized firearms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, some states allow that where I live, they do not, unfortunately. Um, but really that would be the solution because, uh, number one, you know, just because it's, uh, you know, it's a controversial topic, I should say, you know, the people on the left call them ghost guns cause it sounds scarier and they love drumming up fear <laughs> in people to make them against things. Um, oh, great. Now ghosts can have guns. <laughs> yeah. That, that's going to be pretty scary. Boo. Yeah. But I mean, that would be the, that would be the most logical solution because, uh, you know, honestly, I think that the owning of unserialized firearms, uh, you know, is, is permissible according to the constitution of the United States. Sure. I don't think you need the government's permission right. uh, to own a firearm. Um, but you know, where I live, if I had something like that here, you know, I get in big trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to get in big trouble. I don't want to go to jail for 10 years. I don't want to become a felon. Um, so, so that would be maybe to, to answer your hypothetical question with a hypothetical solution is, you know, <laughs> y- you know, if they come for your guns and you absolutely wanted to comply, you know, and keep yourself out of trouble, you know, give them the ones they know about. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but like I said, you know, I live in Connecticut. You know, maybe where where you live, that's different. You're allowed to have unserialized firearms. Yeah. Um, I, but. Uh, well, thank you for venturing there. That the hypothetical questions are fun, aren't they? A lot of times they're just a yeah. waste of time. Um, yeah. But yeah, that good question, James. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Okay, can I switch gears here and go to something totally different? Uh, yes. Okay, we've got... <laughs> a nickel for something completely different. <laughs> um, okay, we got 10 minutes. Um, and, and considering, I'm looking for a, a balance here, an understanding. Um, the concept of peace in Scripture, the Old Testament concept of peace is the idea of wholeness, right? If I remember correctly. Um, so if you are, if you, you know, shalom, okay, mm-hmm. is the idea of, of a wholeness, whether it's in your health and in your relationships and, you know, uh, in your person. So, um, so you think about peace and uh, soundness or integrity. Integrity is that idea of soundness. When we say a building has a structural integrity, there's no cracks or fissures or, you know, um, I guess weak points there. So, uh, thinking about those and that I am supposed to be a whole person. Um, am I whole by strengthening all of my weaknesses or by 
playing to my strengths and surrounding myself with people who are strength strong where I'm weak. Maybe that's the, um, hmm. can you, can you give an example? So should I constantly try to develop myself in every area? Like, like we should be self-aware, uh, enough to say, I have some weaknesses. These are the areas where I'm weak. And I'm strong over here. I've, I have certain, uh, you know, uh, gifts or talents. Um, I'm just more naturally strong. Or I've worked in this area. I've developed a strength here. But I, I know that over here, I'm, I'm weak in this area. So let's say um, I'm, uh, I'm strong with people, but I'm weak administratively. Okay. Do I, do I work to be strong in everything, in every aspect of, of life? try to be strong in everything? Or do I just recognize I'm always going to have weaknesses? Um, so let me keep playing to my strengths and make up for those weaknesses by, and maybe maybe that I'm half answering my question, maybe that is strengthening myself just secondarily by, you know, surrounding myself with people that help me with the administrative details or, you know, or, or you know. Um, yeah. You know, I, I know this goes well, in different facets of life and stuff, but let's say in a, in a work context, you, you hire a good administrator and then you play to your strength, you know, or whatever. Yeah. No, I, I tend to think that you should strengthen your own weaknesses. Um, and, and that may involve at first surrounding yourself with people who are strong where you're weak. Mm -hmm. But the goal should not be to continually have them do everything for you. Um, the goal should be to strengthen your own weaknesses. And you know, the reason I say that is because, you know, when we think about scriptures like 2 Timothy 3, um, and basically the reason why the Bible is given, you know, all scripture is given by inspiration mm, of God mm. and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, Good for instruction and in righteousness. The reason it says that is because that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works, not the entourage of God, not the uh, presbytery of God. You know, not the team of God, the man of God. Mm -hmm. uh, his his duty is to be mature. That's the word perfect there. But then truly furnished. And and forgive me if my understanding of that phrase is rudimentary, but the idea of truly furnished means that he's adequately prepared mm -hmm. in really anything. That okay. that to, that to yeah. me says that if I'm weak in a certain area, it's not wrong for me to bring someone on board with me that can help me with my weaknesses and in a sense work alongside me to do the things I'm not good at. But the goal should be that I learn from them to strengthen that weakness in myself, mm -hmm. not that I just bring you on board to do it for me. I see. Yeah. So practically, there that's going to be a lifelong pursuit because it's, oh, yes. the, it's, the, con it's the concept of... A multitude of counselors. Well, when don't we need counsel? Um, when do we ever grow out of a, a out of right. uh, a blind spot? You know, I mean, right. I think we'll always have a human. We're always human, um, and yeah. so so there's going to be something where we need someone's input. But we should be, you're saying, growing and strengthening. So a philosophy that would say, just focus on your gift. You know, be be uh, extreme and supreme in that area, do what you do well and let other people do the rest. You feel like that one might be problematic if taken too far. Oh yeah. I think it enables weakness. Um, mm -hmm. I think it enables someone to continue 
and maybe even laziness at a certain point. Uh, it enables someone to say, well, I don't have to develop that area because I have you to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is not thoroughly furnished. Um, that's, that's someone who has essentially enabled themselves to not develop areas that are uncomfortable to them. Now, that would be different than, say, in a, uh, than just structurally identifying your role, not saying that you as a person aren't working to be strong, uh, you know, in a, in, in a way to hit everything. You're trying to be complete, trying to be th- you know, thoroughly furnished through the grace of God. But let's say in an organization, you obviously have a role that you're either the administrator or you're the detail guy. You know what I mean? You're, you're one of the people that works on uh, one of the 72 details of this project, or you're the guy heading up the whole thing. You can't be both. Um, And so, so structurally speaking, you're going to do your thing. You're going to administrate. You're not going to worry about the details because that's their job. That's not your job. Right. That's the difference between roles and skills. Okay. Um, I I believe that a good Christian man needs to be a skill collector. Um, He needs to, you know, some people collect coins, some people collect you know, stamps. I don't know if anybody does that stuff anymore, but yeah, you know, some people yeah, collect, you know, guns, you know, <laughs> to, to mm-hmm. you know, circle back. But, um, but yeah, I think skills should be something that every man collects because even though you might hold a certain role and you don't need that skill, what if you had to? Like, what, what if suddenly you found yourself in a position where you had to play that role, at least temporarily? You know, you don't want to be a completely inept person. You want to be apt in every scenario, as much as is reasonably achievable. Well, and that's what I guess I'm kind of wondering that even that, you know, breaks down at a certain point, because while you might collect skills, you don't become proficient in all of them. You probably don't become proficient in any of them, except maybe one or two. And that's, that's maybe going back to the original is that you, you're good at something. So do you just keep, do you just keep being better at the things that you do? Um, or do you just constantly try to spend time dabbling in a bunch of things and trying to improve them all at once? Well, I guess it depends maybe whether we're talking practically in yeah. skill sets or, or spiritually or vocationally. Right. But um, Well, maybe, either, maybe way, it, either way, it, it, it does sort of, when a man is developing skills in a multitude of areas, whether they be spiritual or practical, there are going to be some of those skills that float to the top that are just more natural to you, more enjoyable to you. And in many ways, by being an explorer and collector of skills, it does help you find what you're naturally good at. Um, yes. and, and, and it helps you notice your weaknesses as well. But I think that uh, a good Christian man should seek a little bit of discomfort uh, at times when it comes to the skills that he doesn't have and develop those. He may never perfect them. Because they're not his skills. They're not his natural gifting. He'll never perfect them, but he should at least know how to use them if he needs to. He shouldn't be a completely inept person if called upon to do those things. Okay. And one other one other uh, kind of parsing between a couple things before we're, before we're done here. What's, what's the difference uh, between saying you're trying to be somebody that God didn't make you to be? You know, God made you someone unique with certain skills and ability versus that idea of being mature and well-rounded. Um, you know, where's where's the line between it? Where uh, At what point, or am I talking in two different spheres where trying to be good at everything, you know, I'm, I'm racking my brain or I'm saying, I'm struggling with this so much because it's just not who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to say that's, you know, I'm trying to make me 
you, or I'm trying to make me someone else, you know, who's stronger than I am instead of just being me and me is good at this. Um, I guess as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, it's basically saying it's not a comparative game, but people that you see, you say, well, I'm trying to be like them. Don't try to be like them, but they're modeling, uh, they're modeling a strength in a certain facet of life that is an example to you that can can be something that you're strengthening in. So you're not trying to be like someone else, but you're just trying to mm-hmm. become stronger and they happen to be, be the model for that trait that you're seeing. And yet you're still being you who is naturally strong in other areas. If that makes sense to me. So, so, so it's kind of like, it's. I think it's both in the end that we are naturally good at certain things and there is there ought to be a pursuit of and a slow growth in other yeah. areas. Sure. Yeah. And I'm not advocating for a one man show. Um, you know, I'm not saying that you should try to essentially nudge everyone else out of your life so that you can do it all. Mm. Um, not saying that. Um, but I am saying though, that when someone says, well, I don't do that cause that's just not me. Right. Uh, to me, that's kind of a cop out at times. Yep, yep, and it's, I understand. Uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to respect that because I agree. Um, it's, a, it's an excuse for not, not yet. Yeah. Now, do I expect that person to master the thing that they're not good at? No, but I I don't think they should be making excuses for not doing a thing or learning a skill just because, oh, that's not me. Um, Right. Yeah. I don't witness because I'm just not a people person or, uh, or I, um, yeah, I just can't study like that. I can't memorize because I just, that's just not me. Or uh, I'm just, I just have a bad temper. You know, I I can't, I can't be controlled like that guy. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why I think, you know, statements like that sort of enable cowardice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's part of being a thoroughly furnished man. Um, good. Get, get good at all the things you can get good at. Um, and, and do your best with the things you can't get good at. Um, but be, be versed in, in as much as you can. Um, Good. It's just a matter of preparedness. So every Christian ought to be growing, and growth always means change, which means that you're 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 developing something, um, right? And so, yeah, if I if I'm if I'm asking too broad of a question, listeners, maybe write in and and give me some even pare down the question even more, show it in different spheres. Maybe uh, it's it's uh, a little bit obscure because it's such a broad question. Uh, give us your feedback. Reason together podcast at gmail We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Yes, thank you for being here. We are encouraging balanced developing perspective and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. Mm